Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. My name's Wilson. You wrote me about my daughter. This bloke she was bunked up with. Terry Valentine. What's he got to say for himself? You tell him! You tell him I'm coming! Tell him I'm coming! Jenny never told you about her dad. What dad? When he was in prison for nine years. He was released last month. As long as nobody can connect anything to me. So this was, uh, I feel like the, the last episode, you, you ended with a, uh, a reference to another film shot on an iPhone, which uh, has become, uh, this filmmaker, Steven Soderbergh, has now done that twice, I believe, in recent years. But uh, before, uh, he had like a smartphone to do his sort of, I guess, experimental uh, genre filmmaking. Uh, this was this was it, right? This was like the uh, the sort of in between, I guess, one for him, smaller budget, uh, in between studio projects. Uh, and I had actually forgotten that this followed uh, this followed up a, a bomb for him with uh, Out of Sight, even though Out of Sight is uh, now seen as like a you know this. Uh, uh, classic of sorts. Uh, that one was not not a hit, and uh, I don't know if this was an escape, but it, I think this one, when we talked about Boys Don't Cry uh, being lost in the Hillary Swank sort of Oscar shuffle, uh, I think this is probably the one lost in the uh, Soderbergh uh, renaissance that we got with uh, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic and Ocean's Eleven uh, coming up in the next two years. So I, I don't know if you. Uh, have or as defensive about it as uh, I have been in the two decade two decades since, but I've always thought this one was a little bit unheralded because uh, it, it came right after Out of Sight and before uh, his more financially successful films. 
I, you know, I, I, I think it's a very low key movie. And so I've never been that surprised that it wasn't more, uh, I don't know, lauded when it came out. And, and in fact, for when I came to it, it, this is like a film school watch for sure. And it was talked a lot in terms of narrative structure and editing and, and a lot of the stuff that Soderbergh is doing and experimenting with here. And so we have uh, discontinuous uh, editing. And so, uh, so okay, so, <laughs> uh, continu- so there are two different editing styles. Continuity style is what, let's say, a Rob Reiner movie, which we have coming up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe not this one, but, uh, you know, a typical Rob Reiner movie uh, would be very, presented very much in continuity style. And uh, all the edits would be seamless, and you mostly go from you know master to close up and uh, cross coverage and back and forth. Uh, and I'm oversimplifying it a bit, but I'm trying to you know uh, I'm trying to make this more educational for for anyone who might uh, <laughs> tune in. And, and then you have discontinuity style, and discontinuity style was popularized during the Soviet Union. And uh, they had what was called Soviet montage, where you had cuts in movies that were very noticeable and called attention to themselves. And so like every modern uh, music video editing technique you can think of, uh, you know, was, was created uh, uh, during Soviet montage days and everything. And, and so that's w- w- where I was coming from when I, when I first saw this movie, probably about, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, and I liked it quite a lot. Uh, but I'll be honest, coming to it today, I still, I still really enjoyed it and really liked it. But, but it's kind of it's funny how, uh, how less influential it comes off uh, today when we have... We have so I think we get so many movies like this uh, in, in both in theaters and at home that 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 it's it's hard to see. I think it would be hard for people to see exactly why this was considered unique and different in 1999. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's show offy in other regards as well. Some of the uh, you know the the links with which some of the characters have conversations with each other. Um, I think on when I was watching it this time and it, it had been, you know, it might've been, you know, 10, 15, might've been even 20 years. I don't know if how long this one sort of stayed with me after I watched it, uh, within that first year of its release. Um, but you know, you, you have, uh, I think a certain allowance from Soderbergh, uh, to just sort of like find, the characters and it comes across and I, I don't know if you listen to uh, the commentary track on this one. Oh, here, here you go. Now you're going to, you know, the one time, <laughs> the one time I didn't look at a chance to listen to the commentary track. You're like, oh, well, you know, Soderbergh was going on and on about this and this. No, and tell, no please I, tell me. Cause I didn't get a chance to listen to it. So, uh, yeah. well, okay. Um, I, I did not uh, go back and listen to it, but no. I, Seem to remember uh, from watching it because, as I said, um, I you know I had to purchase this one on DVD. It didn't come playing theaters in Kentucky in 1999. Uh, I remember there's a track with the screenwriter, and he 
I don't know if he's on with Soderbergh, but he expresses a lot of, uh, you know, I guess consternation uh, with the finished product uh, and feels like there's quite a bit that got lost uh, in translation uh, due to uh, Soderbergh uh, using, uh, you know, the, the way he tells the story with the, the editing that you you express, the sort of stylistic tendencies. Um, I don't know, like, because I think what I have issue with now uh, are the long passages of dialogue. So if that's in the actual script, I would disagree with him and say Soderbergh probably took out uh, a lot of unnecessary sort of Tarantino-esque, uh, you know, wanderings. Um, mm-hmm. You get that a little bit with the, the Nicky cat characters, like these like local, uh, very like, you know, bottom tier hitmen, um, scumbags uh, and his partner playing pool uh, there's a sequence where it just appears like he's just insulting people and doing their, you know, their version of like edgy comedy uh, as they're, they're waiting to like follow the, the main character played by Terrence Stamp. Um, there's also, a, you know, a funny sequence that's sort of in that same vein with this uh, law enforcement guy who actually says very little, but lets <laughs> the, you know, our limey character here just go off the rails uh, and then just rebuts him by saying that, you know, the one thing he doesn't understand is every fucking thing he's talking about. I think that gag works, but uh, you even get it a little bit with Peter Fonda, you know, talking to this young woman that's uh, replaced the main character's daughter um, as his his partner, romantic partner. Uh, and it just, you know, it feels like that they're really trying to stretch it to feature length uh, material. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's only 89 minutes, but um and it moves very fast as a whole, but you can get trapped in these individual individual scenes. And I found myself on this watch wondering, like, why am I spending this much time with these two characters? And this, like, it seems like the information could be very quick. Like, we have a man who is threatening you and your business, and he apparently wants to do you harm, and we don't know much about him. And that's all, you know, that's all needs to be said. But it's sort of fluffed up uh, with these, uh, you know, these little quirky choices um, that I don't know if I find it as palatable uh, in my old age, but I thought it was really cool as a teenager. I thought it was like a really cool movie that like everyone should see. And I probably forced it on like too many of my friends who really probably did not care for it. I mean, I know there were foreign films. There were, there were certainly like British movies, like, like Nicholas rogue uh, has a movie called performance with, with, which is very similar uh, to this in, in style and in subject matter. Uh, but but it, but but I'm trying to think of American films, and the closest I could get to would be uh, Ghost Dog: The Way of the Samurai, mm. which is the year after, uh, and doesn't have the same kind of narrative uh, touches, but but is very slow moving and has a lot of like authentic uh, uh, gangster types, uh, with, with, in which in some ways maybe they're less authentic because of how hard they're trying to make them. See, to, to seem authentic. Uh, and that, and that's the movie that I like very much, but I'd have to admit, uh, goes on, you know, for way too long. Uh, and, and the limey is very, is kind of similar, uh, a very kind of locked in isolated protagonist who really lives within himself. And, um, you, you know, I like it, I like it, uh, but I wouldn't really be able to, I don't think it's as influential uh, as American film critics thought it was, when when it came out in 1999, uh, but but uh, I would say that it, you know it's certainly it's certainly it's certainly very nice. I think like I mean I don't <laughs> like I don't have a lot of complaints. I don't have a lot of specific complaints 
in regards to the movie, except for the fact that I would say that that these kind of uh, uh, revenge, um, you know, thrillers and everything, uh, like ju- like no matter what you do, no matter how different you approach, uh, in this case, like the editing and everything, uh, at the end of the day, the, this kind of ends the same way uh, all these revenge thrillers do. Yeah, right? I mean, you're you're waiting for Terrence Stamp to put his hands yep. to uh, Peter Fonda as soon as he gets a hold of him, and that's you know that's and it's not like how they resolve it. You know, I yeah, I think I can avoid spoilers. I, I think it's like it is nice. Like I mean, I, I like that sort of through line you have uh, with his conversations of this this father grieving his daughter and he didn't have the best relationship with because he's, you know, a scumbag criminal himself kind of mm-hmm. proudly at times. Uh, but as you said, he's very isolated. And so even that regret that he has remains internal, you know, it's, it's resolved through the, the, the editing and, and knowing exactly where he is on that particular point in his journey on the, the plane, like coming and going, you know, it plays differently. Uh, and it, it provides that sort of, if there is an emotional release to these type of movies, you know, it provides just a, just a, a, a pang of it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think the only like performance that I actually probably like, like, like of these like kind of kooky cast of characters he comes involved with. I like Louis Guzman because, you know, he, I, I don't think he's like playing it up at all. You know, he, he's the opposite of uh, Peter Fonda or a Nikki cat type character he is just a seemingly kind of normal guy who is like a friend to this young woman um and you know wants to do right by her uh but also is you know over his head as far as like what he's invited to his own doorstep uh is probably not what he expected uh when terrence stamp shows up or how far he's willing to go now there's i mean there's there are great gags that work like i mentioned with the the sort of law enforcement um, that, you know, there's a, a man <laughs> thrown over a balcony at a party, uh, mm-hmm. that always works for me. I mean, it's, it's funny and I, I love the way Peter Fonda, uh, plays it, but, uh, yeah, I mean the dynamic between him and his sort of fixer guy, um, and, uh, the other gangsters, uh, it does reek a little bit of like mid nineties, uh, kind of staples. So I don't, I don't know that it, it may be deserved as far as it kind of getting lost, uh, in the shuffle just a little bit. So I, I do think that out of sight has just continued to gain and sort of yeah. acclaim since then. And this one, um, not, not so much out of sight is far more entertaining and, and far more enjoyable and everything. So it's not, you know, uh, a lot more humor, uh, you know, in that film and everything. So it's, that's not too big a surprise, uh, to me. I don't, I don't want to come down too hard on the limey. I think, uh, I think on a first viewing, it probably, is more surprising than uh, you know, you know, than, than than on multiple viewings, and so I don't know. I would, I would, I think for people who haven't checked it out, and if they're Soderbergh fans, they should definitely check it out, and and definitely think, you know, about like why why did Soderbergh make these editing choices that he did here, and blah blah blah. I I I would say in terms of like his career overall, like it's not one of his duds. It's not you know a bad film. Uh, but I would rank it, you know, far lower than like Sex Lives and Videotape, Traffic. Uh, what are some of the other big ones? Well, the, yeah, Out of Sight certainly. I um, I'm trying to think post like uh, Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven, yeah, I, w- I would rank it lower than that. Uh, 
I, I don't know if he's like you know post Ocean's Eleven if there is one that would be seen uh, necessarily uh, as like sort of a slam dunk over the limey because I've not you know I was not a fan of the uh, High Flying Bird the Netflix movie that came out earlier this year Logan Lucky. I had never heard I, of that movie until you brought it up so <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, you know, side effects is fun. Magic Mike, I guess this is most financially successful. Oh, film. I liked Magic Mike. I liked Magic Mike. Um, what about the informant? Did you like that one? I, I like that. The, the informer, right? Isn't it? Mm, Maybe it's no, the informant. It's the informant. Yeah, we, we have the informer coming. Uh, no, we have the insider. That's what the we're coming up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I would put this, I would put this favorably, um, in comparison to stuff like uh, the girlfriend experience, which I didn't care for, didn't care for um, that either. I think this is much better than the girlfriend experience. I think there's much more to enjoy here than than that. Uh, I, I, I guess bubble. I think bubble. It's probably, it's it's about on that bubble level. Mm, Did you I've see bubble? bubble. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You know, it's enjoyable, <laughs> and you know, it's a it's one of those. It's a very interesting, bold like experiment type movie and you kind of enjoy it while you're watching it and everything. But I, but I couldn't tell you exactly, you know, like I could, I couldn't say, Oh yes, the most memorable scene in bubble, uh, is it? like, I couldn't tell you that. Do you think that his, uh, his like sort of seemingly his like need or maybe his just pursuit of like a new way to deliver a story or a new way to tell it. Do you think it gets in the way of his just sort of natural talents. Cause that seems to be like he's dipped into the, you know, a couple of these films that he shot on an iPhone. Uh, and he's doing it like with sort of like, like this, like pure, like genre movies, like Unsane's a horror film. Um, but I, you know, I wonder if it's like, dude, you know, you, <laughs> you have probably the backing just to make a quote unquote, like, you know, normal feature film. Uh, and, there is a, an element of his uh, his later work that feels like maybe he's getting in his own way for my taste. I mean, the whole the whole idea of an experiment is that you're going into it not knowing if the results are going to be any good. And so I have to give him credit on that regard. He definitely does that. And when I saw, yeah, the girlfriend, when I saw the girlfriend, there, there's 90 minutes of my life that I'll just never get back. Uh, when I saw that, you know, it's like, okay, this guy... When he enters into an experiment, he really commits to it. He's not like, you know, it's not like, it's not like Birdman where they're entering into it uh, expecting to get lauded and praised mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, he, you know, he really doesn't know if, if something good is going to come out of this. And I respect that. But, you know, just like that cuts two, two ways. There was that other movie he did, the, the heist movie, uh, with the NASCAR people, mm-hmm. NASCAR heist, I believe it was called. Um, <laughs> uh, didn't care for it. Didn't care for it. And again, that was that was that was a marketing experience experiment, you know. And, and you know, he tried, and it, nothing Yet came again, out of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't don't. I mean, for a man who once worked with Clooney, Julia Roberts, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon in in one film. Um, does he really need to experiment with marketing? Maybe just uh, get some of your movie star pals in a film and you'll have a better shot at it. That's, that's, I, I don't know. That's what I'm talking about. It seems more about the, like, you know, can we do this aspect of it than whether or not you, he has like a distinct passion for, uh, you know, the script in his hands. And that's, that. as I recall, like I, I kind of wish I had, I was really relying on you as a crutch to like <laughs> confirm for me <laughs> the animosity on the commentary track, but I'm pretty sure uh, well, I started to listen here. to it and yeah, they were kind of 
bitching and complaining and they didn't okay. introduce themselves. So it made, and I hadn't heard <laughs> Soderbergh talk for a while. So I was like, I don't know what's going on. It's like, I've, it's like I've fallen into some, you know, gay version of who's afraid of Virginia Wolf uh, for a minute. And I don't know if I want to stick around for this. Um, you've forgotten about Solaris, uh, which did have Clooney and, and was uh, another big failure. And, and so, you know, it's not as easy as just getting Clooney <laughs> well, involved. And- <laughs> Solaris is a big ask from you know, American audiences to, to like, you know, make this a huge hit. I know they tried to shoehorn in. I think James Cameron is like some sort of producer. Uh, but yeah, having seen that one, uh, that was, that was never going to be a, a big success, but you know, maybe putting Clooney in the NASCAR movie. I don't know. You know, it's worked for the Clooney brothers. I, maybe well, they needed to make the NASCAR movie like funny and have likable characters that you want to follow. <laughs> there we go. Like, I don't know, like just, just spitballing uh, on that one. Um, yeah. I don't know where he goes from, from here. Uh, I mean, I kind of alternate between liking his movies and, and not really being interested in them. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to see him go in a completely d- new direction, but I don't really think, you know, the audience is necessary. Would there be an audience for, okay, let's say not Ocean's Eleven, but this century's version of Ocean's Eleven, you know, w- this like era's version of that? Uh, probably not when you think about it. Hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, it depends. I, uh, I, I certainly think like, you know, Tarantino with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he got he just got two big movie stars and with his name. But he also uh, is not, you know, he doesn't work as much as Soderbergh and his name means a little bit more. Uh, I mean, that's how they mm-hmm. advertise mm-hmm. his, his yeah. damn movies. Like, you know, this is the eighth or ninth movie of his. Uh, and I don't think that Soderbergh has ever gotten that recognition. That's yeah. Like the, the, the director who, from the director film. who looks like Moby. Here, here you go. <laughs> Not as, not as, not as, you know, it doesn't really have the ring of, you know, the Tarantino marketing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good thing that they're not, they're not relying on the sex appeal of Quentin Tarantino to sell it. I don't, I don't think that would be good for him or Mr. Soderbergh, but actually we'll probably give points to Soderbergh in that, that regard. Uh, I think we've probably tapped out. Uh, All right. So, well, yeah. well, you know, I've forgot, I've totally forgotten. I totally do not have the Wikipedia pages up right in front of me. Uh, okay. What do we have coming up on the next episode? I believe it's a two-parter. Uh, let's see. Uh, romantic lead of the English patient uh, meets a uh, genuine movie star who has the uh, unfortunate affection for wearing an earring. Okay, that would be Harrison Ford and Chris and Scott Thomas in Random Hearts. And I, just, right. and I found out that I guess apparently Harrison Ford wears an earring in real life, and that's why they let him wear the earring in Random Hearts. So I just wanted to defend poor Harrison Ford on that front. But I believe now, now so what is the second parter? Well, you've already, um, I think on this episode, either this episode or last week, because we're recording these in the same night, uh, you, you sort of smirch this man uh as far as his the way he edits a picture no that was not the intent i was just trying to explain (laughs) it in an easy to understand way and i think people would understand you know like the american president you know not a lot of not a lot of soviet montage in that movie so (laughs) which would be you know very ironic considering the title but 
so yeah, he does uh, his, uh, I guess, version of uh, When Harry Met Sally, if it continued on for uh, what? He you did know, the original When Harry Met Sally, so... Well, yeah, but it's—I mean, it's—it's it's a clear callback. With the, in this one, we get the 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 actors, you know, talking directly to the camera, talking about mm-hmm. their their love life. Uh, not as fun this time around. Not as uh, silly and romantic because uh, it's about a, a married couple and uh, if they're going to split up or not. The big D, you know. <laughs> are you are you a child of divorce, uh, Denison? We've never yes. established this. Me yes. too. Yes, we're we're mm-hmm. we're the bastards. The the ba- <laughs> the bastards podcast. That's what we should do. Yeah, <laughs> I I am the uh, the oldest of. Uh, I have three younger brothers and a younger sister, and I'm the only original product of that failed marriage. Ah. And both, both parties went on <laughs> and had other families that were far the, more successful. The bastard Denison. <laughs> So that's a weird introduction to uh, the story of us. <laughs> It'll be paired up. I tell you what, man, what an exciting double feature we have for the next episode. I, I cannot yeah. wait to talk yeah. about it. You know. <laughs> for certain people. It'd be exciting. Yes, for my poor grandmother I mentioned on the last episode that would find Brokeback Mountain great if it wasn't for the the gay couple uh this may work for her one of these two i hope i don't know uh so yeah we'll be talking about those two on the next episode um please don't skip it just because of the film selection And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99